0: So in these verses, we see an escalation of fear. Fear actually changes in this chapter. It's a fear that grows, fear that becomes more God-centered. God begins the action because God is using his sovereign power to cause Jonah to do what he has commissioned him to do. We know where this goes. Jonah goes down, down, down. And by the time we get to chapter two, he's down in the ocean. He's down in the belly of a great fish. He's at the threshold of death. Jonah goes down that far. But there's more that God is doing than simply uh, going after Jonah. He's also going after others. He sent Jonah out to preach to Nineveh, but These sailors are going to come along the way. These sailors are where Jonah is now. And so the Lord sends out this great wind on the sea. Now the word for sent out is actually a very graphic word in the original. It's it's a word for hurled. Like a pitcher would be hurling a a fastball, but God is able to do this. He hurls this great wind on the sea. And it's reflected again throughout this passage as later on in verse 5, the the mariners throw the cargo into the sea. And Jonah is asked finally to be thrown into the sea in verse 12. And they pick Jonah up in verse 15 and throw him into the sea. They hurl him. But the one who hurls with the greatest force is the living God, the one who is able to cause heaven and earth to be formed and the one who is using the forces of nature to cause Jonah to bend to his will. But again, he's not only doing this for Jonah's sake. He sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Actually, it's put a little bit bit more graphically. The ship began to think that it would break up. It's, it's language that's used very rarely, but it's, it's language of the ship being like a person. The ship began to think, I'm about to break up. It's almost like some people think that Jonah is like a children's book because it uses this language of the sea uh, being tempestuous and the ship th- thinks it's about to be broken up and the God hurls a wind. And then there's the word great throughout the, the book. Very important times. It's translated exceedingly sometimes in our, in our English Bibles, but it's the word great. Again and again, the word great. It's a big book. There's big things happening. And the biggest of all is that God has overwhelmed seafaring experts. These men know the sea. They know how to manage the sea. They were used to it. But this was a type of storm that caused these mariners to become afraid. Even to the point where these experts on the sea were crying out, not to the living God, but to their own gods. You see, they had many. And these mariners began to cry out to their gods. And they do what you must do in certain situations. You have to find a way to lighten the load. So they begin to throw cargo from the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But guess who's part of that cargo? Jonah. Jonah had gone on into the lowest parts of the ship. The cargo hold and he had lain down and he was fast asleep. Jonah was sleeping dead weight like cargo on the ship. We're already seeking a foreshadowing what's going to happen. Jonah's going to be thrown into the sea just like some of the other cargo was. He's acting like cargo. He's acting like dead weight. He's not up and helping the the mariners. He's fast asleep. But the word for fast asleep is a very striking word. It's a word that refers to a deep, hypnotic sleep. A sleep that the Lord brings upon Adam when he takes a rib out of him. The sleep that God brings upon Abraham in Genesis 15, that type of sleep. This is the type of sleep that Jonah is involved in. You know, when when you're sleeping really hard and uh, someone tries to wake you up and you're like, stunned, like, uh, You don't even know where you are, and then there's drool coming down your face. And (laughs) for a minute, you don't know where you are. Jonah's sleep was even heavier than that. One time, my sister tried to wake up my brother on the couch because my mom asked him asked her to do it, and uh, my brother just flung his arm out and threw across the room. She said, "I'm not going to try to wake him up again." He was in that type of a sleep. Jonah is fast asleep. And he went down into this lowest part of the ship. The language of going down is going to proceed all the way into chapter 2 to the point where Jonah is actually in the sea, in the belly of a fish, descending all the way down to Sheol, all the way down to the grave. Jonah is going to descend all the way down to death. But he's already on the way. He's down in the lowest part of the ship. It's below sea level, the cargo hold, and he's fast asleep as though he's dead. Jonah is spiritually dead, but he's also physically asleep in the type of deep hypnotic sleep that causes us to look very carefully at the language that's used to wake him up. The captain comes to him and says, what do you mean, sleeper? Using that language again, you're a sleeper, a deep sleep. And then he begins to echo, amazingly, what God himself said to Jonah at the very beginning. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. This captain says, arise, call on your God. Jonah is awakened to the very same language that God used, but now it's on the lips of a captain, a pagan sailing ship captain. God is reaching him. God is calling him, and he even uses the, the voice of a pagan captain. Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. This captain realizes the situation. We need each man to call on their God. Some God is responsible for this storm. We don't know which one. Everybody, get on the team. So the men say to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. A pagan practice, but also used by God in the history of redemption for very specific purposes at specific times. He shows his sovereignty through the casting of lots. He's showing his sovereignty by hurling the storm. He's showing his sovereignty by causing the captain to use the very same kinds of words, arise, call on your God. But now, this same God is going to direct the casting of lots. So they cast lots, and the lot falls on, guess who? Jonah. Now, it's a matter of interpretation as to whether the men realize that this means Jonah is responsible or if it just means that Jonah can tell them who's responsible. But they ask him to tell them who is responsible. Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? We know who's responsible. Jonah knows who's responsible. Who's responsible for the storm? God is responsible for the storm. Who's responsible for the storm? From the human side, Jonah. Jonah's responsible for this storm because he's fleeing from God. And so all of the men on this ship, their lives are in danger because Jonah is fleeing from his mission, from what he is supposed to do. And so these men ask him a number of questions. For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? They ask him all these questions. Jonah answers two of them. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The covenant name of God. I fear the covenant God, he says. And what he says is, Theologically correct, he made, uh, he's the God of heaven, he made the sea and the dry land. He was a Hebrew. It's that word fear, though. I fear the Lord. You want to say, really, Jonah? These men know what being afraid is like. They're beginning to fear God in a general sense. They're Because they're afraid of this storm and they're reaching out to try to find out which God is responsible? And now you're giving them specific information. Information that they're going to use because they're afraid. Jonah. He might fear God in a technical sense, in the abstract sense, but his actions deny that fear, that reverence of God. This is the one who made the sea and the dry land. When the men hear that, they are exceedingly afraid. Now the fear is escalating. It's fear that's becoming bigger. It's like a children's book. The fear that began like this is now like this. The men are exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, why have you done this? And then we get a little bit of a background. The men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now they know for whose cause this trouble is upon them. They know that Jonah is fleeing from the Lord. From the one who made the sea and the dry land. So they don't know what to do. They are beginning to fear this great God, but they don't know what to do. Isn't that amazing? God has brought about a situation where where Jonah has expressed that this God, the one that he is figuring in a formal sense, has made the sea and the dry land. And these men have heard this testimony and they have become exceedingly afraid but they still don't know what to do. Jonah, who has been raised as a Hebrew, Jonah, who, who knows uh, the word of God, who spoke it prophetically, is right before them. And God is giving them an opportunity to become related to him. In the midst of this storm, in the midst of this this wild A battle between Jonah and the living God. God is saving people. These people say, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. They're torn. In their world, in their pagan religion, what you do is you find a sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice, Jonah? What do we do with you? How do we intervene between you and the God who made the sea? And the sea continues to grow tempestuous, past the point where they were afraid already. It's even more. It's a bigger storm now. It's like that children's book. Each page you turn, the storm gets bigger. And bigger and bigger. There's lightning bolts. There's different colors of water. It's pouring in in places where you don't want it. And Jonah says to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Jonah acknowledges that he is the one who is responsible for this great storm. But these men are new to a relationship with a living and true God. When one relates to a deity that you don't know, who is extremely powerful, you have to know the term. These men are concerned that they might be held responsible for this man's death, if they were to do that. So they row hard to return to land. They don't want to take this next step, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. And this is where the way that the living God, the sovereign Lord, is working in this situation becomes evident. Because these men pray. They cry out to God. Jonah has not been crying out to God. He was more interested in sleeping. He only answered their questions. He answered two of them because they demanded an answer. Jonah knows that he's responsible, but we don't read of him praying for these sailors on this ship. And yet the living God is reaching these men through this circumstance through their contact with this disobedient prophet. And they are beginning to look up. And for the first time in their lives, they are praying to the living and true God. We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. What these men pray at the end of that prayer is a reflection of the language that we read in Psalm 135, verse 6. In Psalm 115, verse 3, says the same thing. God does as it pleases him. And they know this Not because they have been raised as Hebrew children and they've been taught the the psalms and they've learned them, they've memorized them, they've mumbled them, they've sung them. No, they've learned this because they are beginning to pray to the living God who's giving them an understanding of how to pray. They do not know the degree to which the... uh, Death of this man is is viewed as something that was necessary by the God that they're praying to. So they say, do not charge us with innocent blood. But the point is that they pray to the living and true God. Already the story of the book of Jonah is beginning to unfold. The great event that's going to happen in Nineveh is already foreshadowed for us as these men begin to pray to living a true God. Way before Nineveh repents. That promise that was given to Abraham is beginning to be fulfilled. It pointed forward to one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the means by which these men have the opportunity to pray to the living God. It's on the basis of his finished work. It's on the basis of his future work that he would do and his intercession for anyone who would seek to pray to the living God. There's one mediator and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And these men pray and they are heard. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea became calm. The sea ceased from its raging And then their fear takes on a new dimension. It's already grown from the beginning of our our chapter in verse 5. It's grown uh, in contrast to what Jonah uh, said about his fear in verse 9. To be exceeding fear in verse 10. But now this fear, this exceeding fear is directed, directed towards the true source of the storm, the one who received their prayers, the one who gave them the confession of faith from Jonah's lips, the living and true God, the sovereign Lord. They fear him exceedingly. They feared the Lord exceedingly, their fear has now become fear of the living God. And they do something else, something that's uh, present throughout the Old Testament uh, in various places. They offer a sacrifice to the Lord and take vows. They engage in worship practices that you would find a Hebrew doing. Amazing. Amazing. In this story, we see something that is a great lesson for us. It's a lesson that's reflected for us in the New Testament, in the words of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5, as he says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For this, if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Gamaliel realizes that the spread of the church in the, in the book of Acts, the spread of the uh, church through the risen Christ given to uh, his people by his spirit is not something that can be uh, withstood if it comes from God. This is the same God who's able to cause these sailors to be afraid, who's able to reach them through a confession of faith with little bits of information to cause them to seek God, in prayer, and to bring about actions of piety from them. that you would expect from someone who knows the word of God more completely. God has overrun Jonah's fleeing. And he has met these men there in the place where Jonah flew. Many years later, on the Galilean Lake, there was a great windstorm. And the seafaring fishermen, the people who were used to uh, windstorms, began to be afraid. Jesus was on that boat. He was asleep because he had been serving he was asleep because he trusted his Father in heaven. He was asleep for completely different reasons than Jonah. And they wake him up, and they ask him if he, does, if he cares that they are perishing. Jesus' response, by rebuking the wind and saying to the sea, peace, be still. The same action, of the throwing of Jonah into the water is accomplished by the words of Jesus Christ. Because this is the Lord of creation. This is the one who was able to simply speak to the winds and the waves, and they were still. And the response? Exceeding fear on the part of these disciples. Who can this be that even the wind and wind and the sea obey him. Who is this? He's asleep on the boat. We wake him up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and they obey him. This is the living God. But brothers and sisters, this God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, was asleep on that boat, rebuking the wind and the waves and speaking to his disciples in order to build faith in them. Why are you so fearful, he asked. How is it that you have no faith? When we are encountering the living God through the uh, ways in which he gets our attention, It is designed for his sovereign purpose. And Gamaliel is right. To stand against the living God is foolishness. Jonah, eventually, as knowledgeable as he was, and as dead set on disobeying God as he was, succumbed. But Jesus is after something more. Something that's hinted at in the, in the prayer of these pagan sailors. These sailors who began to become related to the living God. Faith. That faith comes through Jesus Christ. It's the reason that he is on that lake in the first place. It's the reason that that storm arose. That these disciples might grow in faith. He's able to bring about fear. But there's a special kind of fear. A fear that comes from faith. And never forget that God is able to bring about that kind of fear. In a fallen world, he's still saving people. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the knowledge that as fear grows, you are able to change its course. You are able to direct it, even as you're able to direct a storm or a great fish. We thank you for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came in order to bring about the means by which we would begin to fear you rightly. For because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are given much more. And Jonah said to these pagan sailors before they converted. We are taught much more about your ways, about your covenant love, about your provision for sinners, about the means of our salvation, about your power over uh, the forces of nature which you created, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would not only guide us and direct our fear to yourself and build faith in us, but we ask that you would also help us to see from these two episodes in the history of redemption that you are also doing that for others, for these pagan sailors, for the disciples on that boat, and for those of us worshiping here today. Please give us that confidence in you, for that is true and godly fear. And please, make that fear as big as possible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.